they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they will come up with their livestock and their tents. They will come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. I want to stop there for a bit, and, and, and we'll, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. What do you think they cried out for? What do you think they identified as the problem? Who were they, who was the reason they were crying out to the Lord? Anybody? The Midianite? That's who they were crying out to God for. But what was the reason they were going through what they were going through? Was the problem the Midianites? Or was the problem their own behavior? Okay, the reason, you know, God gave them over into the hands of the Midianites. And the reason he did that was because they did what was evil in the sight of God. Amen? Now, I want you to go back to chapter 5, and we're just going to look at the final verse in chapter 5. Now, first of all, Judges, it starts off with God giving them, putting them into the promised land, and, and it starts the process of them possessing it. They're going to have to overcome a lot of the pagan uh, uh, countries that are there. And so, it's it, just in a few short chapters, you see where God does something amazing to them. Uh, they have a period of success, a period of peace, a period of prosperity, then they get lax with God and turn away and do what's evil in the sight of God. Then God allows them to suffer consequences. And it, it appears these consequences are designed to drive them back to seeking God. So their circumstances, how close they are to God depends on how much, how close they are to God depends on how much they perceive they need him. You know, that human condition hasn't changed very much throughout the years, hasn't it? You know, it's amazing how close we get to God and how much we cry out to God when things are bad. But when all is well, you know, guess what we tend to slack on? And they were praising God in chapter 5. And verse 31 says, So let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. And here's the last, the last line is what I want to focus attention on. And the land was at rest for 40 years. 40 years there was peace. 40 years there was blessing. 40 years there was rest. And somehow, through that time, through that 40 years, they began to do those things which were evil in the sight of God. Which takes us to, you know, to verse 1. And you know, I used to pray all the time for, for peace. I used to pray all the time to let all be well. I used to pray all the time to just let the paths that I have to walk in this life be paved with gold or diamond or some other precious deal. I just, I just want all that. You know, but... I began to realize about myself, every time times were, were good, every time times were excellent, every time I was in a period of time where I felt like I could do things in my own strength, okay, my relationship with God suffered. That may not be you, but I'm saying that's something we have to guard against. We don't have, 
as much of a problem when things are bad or when we're struggling or we're going through some hardship, leaning in and pressing into God. Our troubles tend to happen when we don't perceive any threats, when we don't perceive that there is anything wrong, that we don't think that there is anything that, uh, that can take us down. When all is well, okay, we focus on other things and we take for granted. I hate to say it this way, but we take for granted the salvation of the Lord. We take for granted our relationship. We take for granted his presence. We take for granted the covenant that we've been grafted into. And so I would caution us. I'm not going to say, hey, don't pray for God to do good things. We know he's a he's heavenly father. He's, he, he favors us. He's for us. He wants us to do good things. But in the midst of, when we're on the mountaintop, in the midst of that, let's make sure that we continue to lean into God while we're on the mountaintop. And not just in the valley. So they did what we all tend to do. When we're crying out to God, when we are experiencing something that is distasteful or uncomfortable or hurtful or whatever to us or whatever challenge that we're in we are crying out to God to do away with that thing that thing is the problem or that person other than me is the problem don't be too quick to do that because oftentimes all right the problem may rest with decisions or choices or actions of our own and that's where God would challenge us, okay, let's repent. I want to show, I brought you to this low place so that you could be reawakened to the fact that, that there is relationship with me you've been taking for granted and that you need me, all right? And so I'm, I'm getting you to the point to where you recognize that, okay, and you act accordingly. You repent and, and seek my face, right? And so let's continue on. And they, they went through this for seven years. And Israel was brought low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Just wanted to make sure we knew where the real problem lay. Verse 7. Despite all that, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and God, remember, I don't know if it was two weeks ago or not, uh, I believe it was a couple of weeks, when, when, I, when I talked about how David encouraged himself in the Lord. What did I say? He, how did he encourage himself in the Lord? He remembered his history with God. Okay? And he remembered what God did with the bear, with the lion, with Goliath. And he believed with that history, he knew God could be there with him in that situation. Amen? And so... This prophet reminds them of their history with God. And he says to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. And so that just reiterates what I was talking about earlier, what the real problem was. Now, it doesn't go into great detail, but obviously they began to fear the god of the Amorites. Amura is what their God was called, Amura. It was their deity, uh, uh, the God of the mountains. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about that uh, uh, religion and so forth other than, uh, other than that, 
but they began to fear him. And, and I believe that word fear is twofold, that there, there was a fearfulness of upsetting him and getting consequences, and there was a reverence toward him that should not have been there, a reverence that should be reserved for God Almighty. And, and as they, and so instead of, instead of planting their, planting the flag of God in the new territory that God has given them, in allowing the God of their salvation, Almighty God, the one that they serve, to be the God of that, to, not only of their lives, but of the area that they possessed, they allowed the culture that existed there and the God that they worship to affect them. And he and, sir, and, and uh, fearing that God turned their hearts away from the one true God. And I will say from personal testimony, my pursuit of playing in the NFL was, was akin to this. And that pursuit became like a God to me, so much so that it had my heart and it caused me to turn away from the God who I had given my life from. In my demeanor, in my actions, in, 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 in my thoughts, he was not the priority of my life. You know what God did? God allowed that to be taken away from me because it was the only thing that would wake me up. I was not taking care of my academic business. I was getting business done on the field, but I wasn't getting business done anywhere else. And to be honest with you, when I failed a semester, you know, there was the uh, probation period and uh, uh, measures were taken to help keep me eligible so I could stay on that field. I'll put it that way. Which unfortunately reinforced my bad behavior. Uh, without giving you all the gory details, uh, God put a stop to that. The problem wasn't my pursuit of playing in the NFL. The problem was I had given my life, I'd given my heart to the Lord the summer before my senior year in high school. And somehow, some way, my pursuit of that thing caused a wedge between me and my relationship with God. God had a plan for me. He had a purpose for my life, okay? And he wanted me to walk with him. Football could have been a part of that if I had not elevated football to a throne position, to, to, on the throne that God belonged on. And God, you know, and it might seem harsh. I went home, I went home Back to my hometown of Waxahachie, I went home, total 180. I changed from being the guy who did everything right, that they were telling the athletes behind me, that's the guy you want to emulate. That's the guy you want to, you know, that, that, that you want to have as a role model. This is the guy that did the things the way they ought to be done. Then all of a sudden, I come back the total opposite of that, total hypocrite. Can you imagine the shame, the harshness? I had people tell me to my face when I said, I'm going to get back. Just stop lying. You're not going back. Maybe they were trying to help me. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were just trying to stoke a fire. I know they stoked the fire of, of, of anger in me, you know, because uh, I did not bless them in the Lord in response. But God, I think God used that to a certain degree because I, I, I had learned my lesson, and I think it was the only way that I could have. I had to suffer loss. I had to suffer a consequence in order for me to wake up to the error of my ways. And I hadn't gone to church for, a, for at least a year. I had, not, I had not gone into his word like I ought to. I was not pursuing God. And guess what I did the moment I found that I'd have to go home a flunked out athlete? I got on my knees <laughs> and cried out to God. And I felt God say, son, I didn't want that for you, but you allowed football to come between us, and I had to remove it. 
And I was out for a year and a half. I had to go to junior college, get my grades up, and made it back. There was a man of God who uh, named Isaiah Brown who was a pastor that was uh, just what the doctor ordered. God, God crossed our paths at the right time. But during that year and a half, without having football and, and having for a season lost that dream, I started to press into God, and I began to hear God, and, and his word was awakened to me. And, and little by little, God began to make it obvious to me that he had a call in my life to preach his word. And if your pursuit is a professional sport, you know, I, this testimony is not to tell you that that's of the devil. <laughs> All right? Whatever you're pursuing, pursue it, but just make sure it does not preempt God in your life. Leave your heart open. Let God speak to you. Continue to, to, to walk with him. Continue to lean into him and allow him to instruct you and direct you in the way that you should go. And, and if God says, it's time for you to leave that, it's time for your path to depart from, uh, from that sport or whatever it is, Say, yes, Lord, and do it. Uh, I know without a doubt I had the ability uh, to play and excel at the NFL level. But I also know in my heart that God had to take that dream from me in order to save me from myself. And so I look at the consequences that he gave it seems harsh. For seven years, these people scrimped. These people planted crops and everything. And, and, during, and, and, and during the season for them to reap the harvest, you know, you had the enemy just come in and just take everything. And they finally did what the whole thing was designed to make them do in the first place. Turn to God. God never just wants to be mean to you. I look back on that time of my life and I thank God that he did not leave things as they were. That he did not, he loved me too much to let me go continue down that pathway of destruction. So that when I came back to Oklahoma State, my primary goal was no longer NFL. It was to serve God. And in the doing of that, in that reconnection of that relationship with God, I began to pray to God for a mate, for a wife. I never had a healthy relationship, didn't have many. I only had one lengthy one. And I only had to, you know, I only had to do it once. I asked God, I said, Lord, uh, I keep screwing this thing up. What I'm looking for is obviously not the right thing. I know you have that one for me. All I ask you to do is to make it clear to me who she is. I will pursue her. He did, I did, there she is. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so, another blessing that God has given me after he corrected the error of my ways, after he brought in some pain into my life and got shocked me, made me say, whoa, made me Realized my need for him and, and, and the careless way that I had been regarding my relationship and the covenant I have with him. Right? And so this is what happened in this situation. Israel was brought low and they cried out to God and he sent a prophet and the prophet delivered that message. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you, gave you your land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not fear 
the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. That's all he said. Doesn't even name who the prophet is. Let's go on. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ebezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, uh, let's read that again. All right, it says he's hiding out, right? <laughs> he was beating out weed in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, th this, really, this really struck me. All of a sudden, it just hit me. I don't know why it didn't hit me like this before, ever before, uh, and it probably should have. But I'm, I started to consider, this is seven years. It's like clockwork. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Amorites, the Midianites, they come right at the right time. Every time they're threshing wheat, every time the, they're getting a chance to reap the harvest, they come at the time so they can take everything away. You know, in your desperation, you can either... Sometimes you can just give up and concede to things being the way that they are. Just freeze up. Or you can take the worst circumstances and make the best out of them. You can do something that's designed to make a difference in this situation. I began to look at this and say, you know what? Somebody had to step up. Somebody had to do something. Otherwise, this has been going on for seven years. People are going to waste away and die. And so I look at what Gideon's done here, and he's like, okay, we've got to find a way for him to not take everything. You couldn't even number. There was too many of them to number. They came on camels and everything. There were too many to number. So you physically could not just overwhelm them. They were coming. Okay, this is the consequence that is given by the Lord. So it's not going to stop until God puts a stop to it. Okay? And so here he is. I don't think he was being a coward here. I think he was being innovative. I think he was trying to get something done here. I think so the one place that the uh Midianites would not be looking for him, anyone to thresh wheat would be in a wine press. Now, the wine press is where you put the, you know, that's like a pit. You put the grapes in, you squeeze the juice, and it's in the wine pit. And it's, and it's inside, but a threshing floor is normally elevated, outside, flat rock, you know, where they are either, they, they either got a big hammer and, they, and they, they beat it to death, or they let animals trample over it, you know, and then they, kind of throw it up in the air and the chaff goes away and what you have remaining is the good wheat. So if he were to do that on a threshing floor, he's a sitting duck. He's got a target on his back. You just may as well be serving the wheat up to the bad guys. And so what he did was he did what needed to be done and there's a certain genius to what he did. You know? So... I've learned not to judge Gideon like I used to. No, it's like, look, it, it makes sense. I mean, why be foolish and go out there and say, oh, I'm a man of God. I'm just going to walk out there in the middle of it and dare you to. No. And so... Again, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now think about that. In other words, you're like a hero. You're a brave man. And the first thing that comes to mind is he's speaking those things that are not as though they are. I will say this. 
This is the Lord speaking to him. Okay? And we can't look at this moment in a vacuum without considering the backdrop, without considering the circumstances. The Lord is speaking to him, and something happens here that I want every one of us to really take to heart. All right? The Lord is the only one who has the right to give you your identity. He's the only one. He's the one who created you. He is the Lord of our lives. He's the only one that can give you identity. And he, said, and he, and he tells him, when he doesn't feel this way of himself, he says, you are a mighty man of valor. And the Lord is with you. Now, sure hasn't seemed like the Lord's been with them for the past seven years. Right? They've been getting spanked for seven years. The Lord is with you. He's hiding. Seems he's hiding in a wine press of thresh wheat, but he's a mighty man of valor. But I don't believe what he was doing was cowardice. I think what he was doing was necessary. And I do believe that there is, there is a bravery element to it, that he's figured out a way to do what needed to be done for the betterment of his people. He was not just doing that for himself. And I believe that may be a quality that made the Lord pick him out. Because he's sure going to up... <laughs> He's sure going to be called to, uh, uh, to, uh, to a higher calling here in a little bit. But, but we'll, we won't, we won't, we'll, we'll let that come when it comes. Uh, let's just focus on this. The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. And, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, <laughs> help me understand this. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord, you would think the Lord, okay, son, I can understand those questions. Let me explain it to you. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? So he doesn't really address his questions at all. He said, I called you a mighty man of valor. I told you I'm with you. Um, can you help me explain? Go in this might of yours. Did not I send you? He just reaffirms the identity that he had said earlier. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, <laughs> again, but I will be with you. Let that sink in. The next time you're thinking, how can I do this? I can't do this. Let the Lord remind yourself that the Lord says, but I am with you. Maybe you could not do it in your own strength, but I am with you. Maybe what you're going through is too much for you, but God is with you. Amen? And that's why it says in Ephesians 6, stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not about your strength or lack thereof. Because the God who is with you possesses Exceedingly more strength than you'll ever need. Exceedingly more ability than you could ever need or fathom. And so, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes. Now, the one thing I will say to him is he seems to be pretty thick. You know, it seems to take things a long time to really you know, settle in his, in his mind. But he says, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I'll stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in the basket and the broth he put in a pot. 
and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, oh no, oh Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Ebizrites. So he had this encounter. And there's something I, I want to say, and I'm going to use a couple other examples to kind of uh, beat the home point, uh, the, the point home. I know we like to have circumstances lined up. If things are lined up right and perfect, boy, our faith is strong and we're willing to walk with God. But if things are less than favorable, less than perfect, we have a tendency to freeze. We have a tendency to wait for, the, for things to line up right. But I want, to, I want to challenge you against that kind of thinking because God, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He is not phased by unfavorable circumstances because he's not limited by them. All right? And I've said this verse many times before, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So, so unless God is telling you to wait, all right, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell myself to wait, okay, if I'm not doing it in obedience to God, all right? If God says go, go, don't wait for perfect circumstances, all right? Go in the strength of God. Go in obedience to God and, and trust that God's going to work things out as you go. What was going on when God met Gideon? the epitome of unfavorable circumstances. They were getting raided for seven years. They were destitute. They were desperate. They were living in caves and hiding out. So bad that Gideon is using a wine press to thresh wheat. And, and, and there he is threshing wheat in the wine press so that the Midianites cannot get it for fear of them getting it. The epitome of unfavorable circumstances, and yet what happened? He encountered God right in the midst of those unfavorable circumstances, and God began to speak to him and tell him that, no, 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 despite all appearances, you are a mighty man of valor. Despite what the way things look, I am with you. Okay? And, and, and he called him to service. He said, I'm going to, you're going to lead the people to victory. You're going to lead them to freedom. And I am with you. So even in unfavorable circumstances, God shows up. And when he shows up, he has, he has a plan. He has a purpose. He, he has direction. He has command to give you, to lead you to victory out of those circumstances. You might be in the wine press today. You might be squeezed today. Okay? You may have been forced into making, making do. <laughs> All right? And you're wondering, God, why you're not with me? Why am I going through what I'm going through? I want you to know that you're in the perfect position to God to show up. I'm not saying it's going to make sense. But I would tell you, don't give in. Don't give up. Don't let your head hang down. But keep believing in the faithfulness of God. 
Keep believing that God is for you and that he's going to show up and he's going to show you a way out. Make the most of the circumstances that you're in. Because he will surely show up. And he will give you victory. You know, turn real quick to Genesis chapter 28. And I'm just going to to read this. There's really two verses that I really want to get to, but uh, Genesis chapter 28, starting at the verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. So here he is. It's a hard place. He's laying on the hard ground. He's using a stone as a pillow. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this place. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And he memorialized that place. And and really, I wanted to bring up that story because there he is in this rocky, barren place. Doesn't look like anything special. You know, the time gets away from him, and he needs a place to rest. He's resting on the hard ground, got his head sleeping on a rock. Little did he know, despite those unfavorable circumstances, little did he know that this was the spot where God was. Little did he know that all this was part of God's plan, and God spoke to him in a dream, and he woke up, oh, my goodness, God is here. There is significance to me being in this place. I can be wordy, so I'll move on. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. I want to do another example. Doesn't get much more familiar than this. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Think about that. Oh, great. Now (laughs) we're traveling. The hardship of travel now is to now the baby's coming. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Think about that. So they're traveling. You know, they got to do the census. Okay. All of a sudden, I assume the water breaks. It's time. This baby's coming and it's coming soon. All right, let's find a place to shut in. And so uh, to make you comfortable, no room. So you have to go to a manger. Talk about unfavorable circumstances. And yet, all of it was part of God's plan. Right? And none of it. Just think, this is the beginnings, the humble beginnings of Jesus. And in no way stopped him from fulfilling 
the call and promise of God on his life. So, you know, so do not despise the day of small beginnings, right? And so even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had humble beginnings, was born in unfavorable circumstances. And you know, it doesn't say it in Scripture, so so this is just me. You know there had to be whispers. There had to be rumors. Oh, yeah, miraculous birth, my behind. You know, I hear David's not the father. I don't know who she hooked up with. But they covered it up. That ain't no child of God. You know, they had to deal with that stuff. And so he had to grow up in that. All right? And so all, all, all the rumors, all the slanders and everything, and yet it did not in any way prevent him from being who he is, <laughs> amen, and doing what he was called to do. So, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go on. I'm gonna leave some. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna stick with Gideon for another week or two. There's other things to learn from this, but I just wanted to focus on the the circumstance that he was in, the circumstances that he was facing when the Lord made it a point to come to him. He was threshing wheat, but he was doing it in a wine press. We can't gloss over that. Why was he doing it in the wine press? We've addressed that. And while it said he was doing it for fear of the Midianites coming in and and taking it away, it does not convey cowardice on him in any way. Nowhere does the Bible intimate in any way that he was a coward. I think the guy was industrious or whatever you want to call it. I think he was innovative. I think... He was a guy who was bold and brave enough to do what needed to be done. He wasn't a fool. He he wasn't prone to take unnecessary risks, okay? But he was willing to put himself out there to do what was necessary in order to help provide provision for others. I think that was a quality that the Lord saw in him. And, well, it's hard for me to do it, but I've got to cut myself off. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a quality that the Lord saw in him. And I, I really just wanted this message today to really speak to you and see if you can relate to Gideon in some way in that you might be You know, things in life don't always turn out the way that we expect them to. Our best laid plans don't always end up according to our vision. There's always things that gum up the works. And that may be you today. And and there may be Things that you are suffering, consequences that you are going through in your life that may be the result of your decisions or, or it, it, it may be beyond you. You're in it. You're in the vice. You're being squeezed. And you find yourself in the wine press, having to be in the wine press. Not the ideal place, but you're having to make do. The fact that you're there I want you to know that the fact that you're there doesn't make you hopeless, doesn't make you without hope. Hold your head up high in your wine press. Look to the hills from which cometh your help in the wine press. Because the Lord is 
is on his way. As a matter of fact, the Lord is in the wine press with you. You might not see him. Your, 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 your emotions may, may blind you to the fact that his presence is in the wine press with you. But I want to, I want to challenge you to renew your mind in the wine press. Don't, 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 don't hold your head down in the wine press. Don't believe the lie that God has abandoned you in the wine press. Okay, you, you might be in the wine press because because God has is, has has bestowed consequences upon you. You might be in the wine press. You may be living the consequences of your own actions, but that doesn't mean he's abandoned you. The message is intended. The, the consequence is intended to turn you to him. It's intended to cause you to recognize not only his presence, okay, but, but you're drifting away from him. You know, it's designed to get you to repent and draw nigh unto him. It's designed to get you to recognize your need for him. He wants you to cry out for him because he wants to come through for you. He loves you like he did with me in football. He loves you too much to let you go down the pathway to destruction unchecked. And so, because he chastens those whom he loves. Okay? So don't be too quick whenever things happen to you that are unfavorable. Don't just assume because you don't like it, it's got to be the devil. I'm going to say that again. Don't assume because you don't like it, it's got to be the devil. I've made that mistake a time or two. And God had to make it clear to me that he had his thumb on me. And the reason why my binding the devil wasn't doing any good wasn't because, well, I was thinking, well, is this real? Am I, am, am I, am I not a son of God? I'm supposed to have this authority. I've been binding and all this other stuff and nothing's happening. He's like, because it ain't the devil, son. You can't bind me and cast me away. You, 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 I'm, I'm dealing with you. This is chastisement. And you know what? You are, again, like the children of Israel, you're in the wilderness. And how long you circle here, son, will be determined by how long it takes you to humble yourself <laughs> and repent. Because <laughs> you ain't going to the promised land <laughs> until some men you dies here in the wilderness. All right? And so... So I just wanted to say that this don't be too quick, but make no mistake about it. God does chasten us, but he chastens us for our good. He chastens us because he loves us. All right. And so as harsh as the Midianites were, and that was a judgment of God, he still did it because he loved them. They lost their way. He allowed this. And it took seven years, but they did it. He allowed this till they realized, you know what? We need to cry out to God. We know where our mistake is now. We've strayed away from him. And so, so God is with you. Cry out to God. Press into him. Avail yourself to him. Let him speak identity to you. Let him declare to you the goodness of God. Let him declare to you that you are a son or a daughter of his. Let him declare to you that you are a mighty man of valor. Let him declare to you that you are a Proverbs 31 woman. Amen? And, 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 and let him speak purpose. <laughs> In direction to you. I'm going to ask you to stand.
Father God, we just stand before you this uh, this morning. I, I believe it's still morning. We're just standing here before you this morning, Lord. Some of us, Father God, are threshing weed in the wine press right now. We, our heads are down. We, we've allowed ourselves to consider the notion that you may have abandoned us. I just feel you saying, Lord, to us that reminding us that you've not abandoned us. As Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you are with us, Father God. Father, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would open our eyes to see you in our circumstance, to see you in our situation, to see you with us in the less than favorable circumstances that we're in. And 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 it may hurt. You know, it may be a struggle, and we may feel alone, but we are not alone. We are not abandoned. Our God is with us. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is with us, the one who promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He would not leave us abandoned. He would not leave us orphaned. We would not, he would not leave us confounded. So, Father, I would pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us in the middle of our wine press. Speak to us as you spoke to Gideon. Speak to us, reminding us that we have your favor. The circumstances have been lying to us for too long. Remind us of your truth. Renew us. Renew our perspective that you are with us and speak to us our identity. Remind us of who we are in you. Remind us that we are strong in you. Father, I just thank you for speaking to us this morning and um, and challenging us, Lord, uh, to remember our history with you. Where we need to repent, Lord, convict us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you're convicting us and you are speaking to us even now. Where you're convicting us, I pray that we repent. Where you're calling us out, I pray that we will go and do what you're telling us to do. Because as you told Gideon on multiple occasions in that exchange, I will be with you. And I want you to say that with me. The Lord will be with me. The Lord will be with me. Thank you, Lord, and we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.